I'm Zen. Before we begin, I would first like to acknowledge the traditional owners and ongoing custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast. The Tasmanian Aboriginal people of Lutuwita, Tasmania. I pay my respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people and to the elders past, present and emerging. I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. I also want to welcome you, John, to acknowledge the custodians of the land that you are recording this podcast from. Thanks, Anne. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that I'm currently on, the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I would also like to pay my respect to Elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has not been ceded. We are on stolen land, and I am forever grateful that I'm able to live and work on this beautiful land. Hey, John, what's going on? For me, a bit of computer fatigue with technology and Zoom meetings. So what I've done to self-love, help me get through this weird time at the moment, is fill my studio with indoor plants. And guess what? It's working. The energy is really helping the coffee intake, but helping me perform my day thanks to gardens and plants. How about you? What's going on? Beautiful. I connected with amazing people and have a beautiful conversation about their story, how to create a community garden in Sulin's garden. Sulin's Rob share about their stories and Hester share about her experience in the garden as well. It's beautiful. Let's have a listen. Welcome to What's Going On podcast. My name is Zen. I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast. And today, actually, I arrived in a very beautiful land in South Hobart. When I come in, I just feel like two different worlds. I feel like I step into a fairy land. And this is Suleen's garden. Hi, Suleen. Hi there, Zen. And her husband? Rob. I'm, I'm Rob. I'm, I'm responsible for infrastructure and livestock. I prefer to uh, see that as my role. This is a beautiful garden here. Uh, we can see a lot of the different greens and fruit trees and also have the animal here like goats, chickens as well. So surely who you like to um, describe um, what brings you to um, this garden? What is the story behind it? Uh, well, back in 1992, uh, we were looking around for somewhere to live with a few acres of land. We were travelling from Hobart down to the Huon Valley, down to the Tasman Peninsula, and, and then uh, suddenly decided that we were really city people and perhaps we could find something close to, closer to Hobart. You know, all the time we were comparing it with this kind of distance of travel in, in Sydney. And yet our sense of distance shrank to the point 
where we started to look around in little pockets of Hobart. South Hobart we hadn't visited, but we'd seen it from Hewen Road. And we found this old house. I mean, it was a wreck. Uh, but I, I think I twisted Su Lin's arm for us to buy it. You know, I, I promised her that I could get it livable, that I could uh, repair things and, and sort the house out. We arrived with the keys from the estate agent and as we were leaving from the first inspection of this place that we'd just bought, Su Lin was driving down the road and I think she got to about where the brewery was and I looked over and she had tears running down her face. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, what have we done? What have we done, this place? I said, look, I'll, I'll get it livable. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll make it livable within uh, a couple of months. You, you know, you, you go and live with your sister and I'll, I'll, I'll get the place so that we can move in. And so I, I worked away pulling things to bits and reassembling stuff. But then, I mean, it was still a very, um, a very rundown rundown place, but we had seen the potential of the, of the land and the fact that we were really within walking distance of the city and on town water, which was more important. You know, our rural dream was thrown, thrown out, out the window in order for us to uh, continue as city dwellers and suburban people. Eventually, um, eventually we got around to spending some money to renovate and, and extend the place and make it, make it livable. That was, um, what, 20, 25, probably 25 years ago. The renovation is still going on. 29? No, about the time, yeah, but we lived in the house mm. oh, uh, for, yeah. for several years before we, before we renovated. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's an ongoing re renovation. And, and at that stage, we, we did ha have a little garden and um, eventually... Children came along. This was this wasn't part of the deal when we when we married. I wasn't I wasn't told that I was going to become a father at nearly fifty years of age. But we uh, and at the time we thought, um, oh, we're experienced, intelligent people. You know, we can cope with parenthood. And so we actually did it twice. You know, a son and a daughter. It was like getting hit by a truck anyway. So a lot of things a lot of things went. Went, were put aside at that time in order to raise children. And so it's only now that, you know, the children have grown up that Susie's been able to pour all the amazing energy into it. I mean, I think we talked earlier about the clay. The amount of clay that Susie has moved from this garden has been astonishing. At one time she broke a foot, worked for about a month with a broken foot with a wheelbarrow that had turned sideways and... It was only when, her, when the pain in her foot wasn't getting any better that she went to a doctor and discovered that her foot was broken. And so, uh, you know, eventually she's forced into, into relaxing. And I think probably the COVID-19 experience has, has done that. It's, it's created a, a real-life work balance that, um, that seems to work very well for us. Oh, Rob and Sulin, it sounds that like your garden and your house is being so different compared to when you first moved in. And you are digging clay and to build up the beautiful, healthy, nurturing soil for the plants to grow. Um, Sulin, would you like to tell us more about how, do you, how did you do that? As it sounds that like you are very delicate and very passionate. Sure, Zen. I'd definitely don't ad advocate people working to the extent that they 
are working on a broken ankle. <laughs> that was something I didn't realise had happened. But anyway, I think that looking at clay, I realised that I needed to put as much life into the soil as I could because our very clay soils aren't aren't very alive and um, healthy soil is full of full of action, full of activity. And so I started to uh, use techniques that would uh, make that happen. And there are a lot of resources that you can get hold of that are waste resources. Um, things like we've just had autumn, you know, you can collect autumn leaves, you can collect uh, coffee grounds. We have animals here, so we have goat droppings and we have chicken manure. Also, once you start getting your garden, you find there are a lot of materials that you can incorporate into making fantastic compost. So over the years, I experimented with making compost and that really is a bit of an engine room in, in the garden now. Uh, so now I, I know how to instinctively make good hot compost and wherever I was working, just going back to the gradual building of the garden, I'd start in one little place and as it happened at the top of a very steep slope, we have a very big sloping property, about an acre in an L shape and I started at the very top and put compost heaps in, in situ. And I used to use waste products, which were branches, to make what were like a bit like baskets, like a wove. I dug the uprights into the ground and then wove baskets with branches that would, had been pruned from trees and, um, and then just built compost heaps straight into them and did them all over the place. And I still work in that way where I might do digging in trench compost and I might dig a trench and then just bury bury the stuff. Bury horse, bury fish waste from down at the docks in Hobart. I'm sure there's a lot of fish waste that goes, you know, to wastage um, that people could bury in their backyards to help their compost along. So I started moving down the hill, clearing away what was once rubble heaps in the garden. There were a lot of rubble heaps here and digging into areas to create terraces. Um, where we're sitting, in fact, was a large rubble heap. And so we dug right back about three and a half metres, I think, yeah, into a bank so that it was flat. And then it enabled the area above that to drain better. And gradually also some of the material that I took out, I added to the base of the slope so that the slope wasn't such a, a steep one. And where I had been working, which was essentially when I could get to the garden, um, raising children, you you know, is pretty full on. And there were times when I just, you know, like whole years where I ignored it. Um, but when you could, I would work on you no know, more, another metre or two and try and maintain the first lot. And so the garden uh, was in a very disjointed design I didn't ever had have fully a comprehensive design at the outset, which I think probably for anyone listening would be a very wise idea because in many ways I've had to build multiple gardens for lack of that planning. Though in many ways I think it would have been difficult to plan that because of the different needs 
that different parts of the garden had. I had to learn what was under the surface in a way in order to know what was possible. Yeah, and then about probably five, five, six years ago, I started to realise that in order to look after such a big area in a very demanding crop, mostly demanding crops, which were annuals. I do grow perennial vegetables as well. But by and large, most vegetables are annual crops and they're extremely demanding. And so in order to do that, I needed to streamline my practices. I needed to streamline the materials that I used so that they were more standardised and so that I had things like better weed control I would avoid weeding rather than um, wasting time weeding. I'd have paths mulched with with cardboard and wood chips or sawdust. I would have climate mitigation tools such as insule net over hoops, over beds that were of identical length so that I could use the insule net over each bed. And the insule net protects crops from the wind, severe wind, which can be very destructive. It also can protect against things like cabbage moth problems. It can provide warmth in winter and and some, some cooling or shade in summer. I started to use some weed mats with little planting holes in them so that I didn't have to weed at all. And the dark colour, the black colour, could uh, warm the soil better. I started to use tarps to to warm the soil up in spring, to stop new weeds from blowing in and germinating, and to allow uh, weeds to germinate underneath the tarpaulins and then die because for lack of sunlight. So I, f- I found some much better methods in which to to operate. So the about Three years ago, I completely redid the garden where I made much better use of the space with the streamlining te- beds and, and better terracing. And also a huge impact on the garden, which meant that I could raise seedlings and extend my seasons this way. Uh, Rob built a, a, a giant hoop house, six metres in length and at least two and a half metres wide, and it's a multi-purpose uh, situation where I can raise very earlier tomato seedlings. I can plant a couple rows of tomatoes and have my, you know, guaranteed early tomatoes. And also I can raise seedlings in there in punnets. And that's just made such a difference. Really fantastic. It's also lovely that I can do a few extra, you know, you always have extra seedlings when you do them and there are always extras you know, to pass on to visitors or people who I know might need them. I'm just thinking another aspect of the garden that has grown with the garden is that I've become a very avid seed saver. And over the years, I've discovered which are the most helpful seeds to save. And I I save um, seeds that need to be very fresh in order to be sown. Seeds that I know will will improve over the years, like the genetic material of the seeds improves over the years. And um, and this is actually making me think of the people who come and strip, <laughs> who come and help and strip seeds. 
gradually all this time where people, you know, the garden has changed, the look has changed. Now it looks like not the average garden. In my front garden at the moment, there is rhubarb and green manure and herbs, a lemon tre- two lemon trees, there's rainbow chard and kale and um, salad crops. And so people started to be very interested in the garden and I would chat to people over the fence and I started supplying restaurants. So th- what this did was brought more people into the garden and I became a very high priority of Robin Mind to interact with the local community. We're on a bus stop. It's made very easy (laughs) because of that. My friend Jacqueline, who's actually here today, popped her nose over the fence five years ago and said, oh, you don't sell vegetables by any chance, do you? (laughs) And to this day has been buying a, a regular box. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm also very grateful for the feedback, which incredible, valuable feedback that she has offered. And so many people who come to the garden now enrich the garden because of what they, you know, what they share, the observations they might make. And they made me realise that um, no man is an island and that, you know, I, I can definitely share the garden. You know, they're incredibly helpful, the people who come and volunteer here. And I really enjoy sharing, you know, the fruits of their labours and uh, ideas that have come along. Uh, One more recent gardener who comes along is a neighbour who lives not too far up the road, just a minute or two up the road, um, young Hester, who's nine years old and comes every Saturday morning. Hester might like to say a few words in a minute. Uh, She might like to tell you what she likes about about the garden and what it means to her. Is that a good idea? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we also have a, a Hester here inside uh, Shirlene's garden. Hey, Hester, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Hester Hughes. I'm nine years old and I live a few minutes up the road from Sulin. I love being in the garden because it's really nice. It's peaceful, it's quiet and there's so many things to do and it's just... A, escape for me. Yeah, so in Shulin's garden, what things do you like to do and how long have you uh, been in the garden here right now? I've been in the garden just for a few months. since I've been here a few times since COVID, but I went before COVID hit. And my favourite thing to do in the garden is probably digging the potatoes because it's really fun. And I just like, you find one potato and then you hit like 10 potatoes and it's just really fun. It sounds a great fun. You've discovered and found a lot of the potatoes when you're doing this. You are when you're helping and learning in the garden. What questions do you like to ask most? I like to know what's what. Like there might be a random plant that I have no idea what it's called. So I'll ask Lynn, what is this? And where everything is. I just like to be organized. So I'll ask where this bed is so I can go to it if I ever need to or where this bed is, so I can go to it. It just makes life so much easier. Hey, Steph, thank you for sharing. So, you know, in Sulin's Garden, there's a lot of the different uh, fruits, uh, roots, and also veggies. Could you like to tell us what is your most favourite? That's hard. I like a lot of them, 
But I guess I haven't really tried many of them yet, but I like a spinach a lot. That's really nice. That's cool. So I know that um, some of other students or young people may be interested to have their gardening. What would you suggest for them to start? Maybe simple things like some lettuce or stick some potatoes in your backyard because they're extremely fun to dig up. That was great fun. Thank you, Hester. So surely it sounds a really great opportunity for people who are interested to join in this community. So what bring you have that ideas to create this community-oriented garden and for people to have this opportunity to do so? That's a really good question. I think I feel very lucky to be able to work on this land, which originally belonged to the Aboriginal inhabitants in Tasmania. I feel really lucky to have, you know, just the opportunity to try to make the most of it in terms of making nutritious food and delicious food. And because I have it, I, f- I feel it's important to share and I feel that the time that I've ha- been lucky enough to have to do this has taught me a lot and that it, it's almost like the young me would have been really happy to meet the old me <laughs> and I would love to download <laughs> my, the knowledge that's in my head to the young me and so therefore I think well maybe it would be helpful for other people who are young now and maybe they could see a single bed or a single metre of soil and say yes I could grow you know a row of radishes or a row of lettuces and then they might ask me a few questions and I, I get so much joy out of advising especially beginners because I can remember feeling such a green city slicker beginner <laughs> yes mm. it sounds a great story like start from the city beginners to like urban farming yeah so what would be the takeaway message for other people like like for like for, for example I come from Hong Kong I really I'm really a city person so what will be your uh, suggestion for me to start with like what can I learn uh, what is the techniques that I can learn from the garden or something like that uh, I think that a good way to start is to everybody has waste from their kitchen every single person has waste from the kitchen and that's the great starting point for producing compost and it's also a fantastic way to contribute to you know what is a problem around our around the world in sequestering carbon but not only are you sequestering carbon you are creating fantastic food for pushing up delicious vegetables so start using any person could start producing compost and find out how to do it. Your local municipal council will, will have advice for sure now. Modern councils all do. And you learn to balance the, what a nitrogenous waste in your kitchen with uh, carbon waste like, like um, shredded paper and, you know, sawdust and, 
and so on, to make beautiful compost to feed a little plot. It, even if you've got a balcony, you could have a couple of foam boxes or a couple of large pots. Or if you just have a little tiny backyard, you can start small, start with one square metre. And it's extraordinary journey. It's the most wonderful adventure to learn to grow f- your own food. I really recommend it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Celine, to share such an important message to us. Grow our own food and nurturing ourselves. And thank you so much, Celine, for your time today to come on our podcast. Hopefully, we will have next time to catch up again in this community garden. Enjoy the veggies from the garden. Enjoy the chat with the neighbors, with the like-minded people. And different generations. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Zen. We hope you enjoyed our beautiful conversation with Rob, Celine, and Hester on how to creating a beautiful community garden on this beautiful land. And do not forget our podcast website, What's Going On Podcast.com. And also our Instagram on the website. That's right, people. All our episodes are on our website. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is share at whatsgrowingonpodcast.com. Until next time, happy growing, happy gardens. Ooh, la, la, la. Ooh, la, 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 what's growing?